What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You know, one of the things that I find most extraordinary, most fascinating, most troubling also about the conservative or right-wing messaging machine is how they take reality and twist it into something that isn't reality. They'll take a grain of truth and turn it into a massive lie. For example, in the United States, we are not a 100% white country. Right. White people are a little more than half of this country. We've got a substantial number of Hispanics and African-Americans in the country. Asians, Native Americans make up roughly the other half, a little less than the other half. And so attempts to recognize that and create opportunities for everyone to participate, you know, to hire people who aren't just white people, are like a good thing. This strengthens us. Diversity is strength. This is a, a, a premise that you see, I mean, you learn it in biology, for example. You know, diverse ecosystems are less likely to crash. Here's the simple reality, that a lot of white people who have held power in this country for 400 years, or on this continent, are starting to say, you know, there's never going to be a shortage of white power in this country. And it's time to make sure that people who are not white are invited into the party. This has nothing to do with guilt. This has to do with understanding the simple reality that there's obviously a fairness issue here. But even more importantly, that we are, by excluding people of color, weakening ourselves. Heather McGee wrote a, a great book called The Sum of Us that I read a few months ago. And, you know, the basic premise of the book was that by excluding people of color from the dialogue, the discourse, the activity, the economic activity, the management, the running of our country, basically everything from business to government to social, by excluding people of color, we are excluding and thus losing potential genius potential inventors, people who could transform the world. I mean, you know, if Hitler had had his way, Einstein would have been killed because Einstein was part of a minority group in Germany, you know, the Jews. So 
the reason why, for example, the Biden White House went out of their way to be sure to hire people of color as well as white men was because, hey, there's incredible talent in this pool as well. And by diversifying our staff, we're making the White House look more like America. This has nothing to do with any, you know, white people sitting around anguished about, oh my God, my ancestors, you know, no. But to get back to the point that I started out with, uh, how amazing it is how right-wingers take a kernel of truth and turn it into a massive lie. Over on Fox News, a piece by Michael Luciano over at Mediaite.com. There was a story in Politico about some black staffers who are leaving the White House. Well, you know, we're two years into an administration and there's an election coming and there's, you know, big changes coming down the road. This is typically the time that people with political appointments who wanted to get a year or so in working for a member of the House or the Senate or get it working in the White House in order to get that on their resume. This is about the time that they start leaving those jobs and looking for jobs in the private sector, being able to say, yeah, I, you know, I worked in the White House Office of Cybersecurity, and so now, you know, you should hire me to, to oversee security in your company. That, you know, that kind of thing. It's just normal. And some of those people who are leaving in the White House right now are black people. And Politico did an article that kind of featured that. Look at these black people who are leaving the White House. Well, there's white people leaving, too. It's a non-event. But Tucker Carlson decided, hey, let's do something with this one. So he brings Candace Owens on his show and says, Candace, are you surprised at the racism, the white supremacy at the White House, that it's so intense the black staffers are fleeing for their lives? Now, to the best of my knowledge, nobody has run out of the White House saying, he's coming after me with a gun or a knife. I mean, this is not just an exaggeration. It's a vile exaggeration. But Candace Owens replies, oh, they never wanted them to actually do anything. They probably were underqualified for the positions that they even had. You know, the old trope that black people, and this is particularly rich coming from Candace Owens, but, uh, you know, the old trope that black people are basically inferior to white people. This is white supremacy. And yes, there are black people who are white supremacists also, who believe that white people are superior to black people. It's sad, it's a tragedy, but it's a predictable consequence of a white supremacist culture and society that has taught everybody, including black children, for years and years and years that white people are not only in charge, but they deserve to be because of their inherent genetic superiority. It's BS, but, you know, it's out there. So then Candace Owens, after she lays out the, you know, <laughs> the white supremacy riff, Tucker Carlson says, is there anything more destructive than white liberal guilt? It feels like it's hurt more people than nuclear weapons. And Candace Owens says, it really has. It's not guilt. It's wanting to run a White House in a way that every organization in America should be run, where people are hired based on their qualifications and not excluded because they happen not to be white. I find this kind of riff, this story, this white supremacist story, which perfectly integrates with the white replacement theory story that Tucker Carlson also sells on Fox News. 
I find it to be just so, so incredibly cynical and destructive. And, you know, they're programming their viewers in ways that uh, certainly could not be called productive, you know, useful for this country. It's, it's unfortunate. Meanwhile, Texas and Florida have passed laws saying that uh, basically, how dare you, Facebook, stop Nazis from posting things? <laughs> we want more white supremacy on Facebook and Twitter. Seriously. They didn't quite say it like that. They said it in code, but they passed laws saying that Facebook and Twitter and other social media accounts, uh, other social media companies that have more than 50 million users or members cannot censor based on content. Now, you and I know if this is coming out of Texas and Florida, the content that they're talking about is white supremacy, racism, hate, Nazism, I mean, these are the values that you see reflected in people like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and Ken Paxton, you know, unambiguously, generally speaking. So the Supreme Court, they didn't overturn the law. This is the Texas law specifically. They didn't overturn it, but they put it on hold until the, uh, I believe it's the Fifth Circuit. Yeah, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals can look at it and uh, make a determination. So for the moment, Facebook and Twitter and whatnot can continue to block hate speech coming out of Russian trolls or coming out of, you know, Texas racists. What I find fascinating about this is that the five justices who said, you know, we're going to hold off on this and we're not going to let this law go into effect were John Roberts, the kind of so-called middle-of-the-road conservative, Stephen Breyer, a liberal, Sonia Sotomayor, a liberal, Brett Kavanaugh, beer bong biff, and, and uh, Amy Handmaid uh, Barrett, a Amy Coney Barrett. They granted the stay. Sam Alito said, no, this law should go into effect. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, the three of them, they, they penned a dissent. Oh, yeah, they're, they're censoring the Nazis. We can't have that in America. What's so weird about all this and the argument that the tech companies, along with the NAACP and some of the LGBTQ groups that joined them in challenging this law before the Supreme Court. And by the way, the, the way that this ruling came down means that after the Fifth Circuit rules, the, this will almost certainly end up with the Supreme Court anyway. But basically the logic was... It's not the job, the, the job of the government to be censoring anybody. It's not the job of the government. I mean, this is the, the First Amendment protection of free speech. Now, what that First Amendment protection of the free speech says is that government may not censor speech. Nowhere does it say Facebook may not censor speech. Facebook is a private company. I mean, it's publicly held, but it's a private company. It's not the government. The, the, the Constitution limits the powers of government and asserts rights of people within the context of limitations on those rights by government. It doesn't say that, you know, if, so, so, you know, what Texas is trying to do here, saying you are censoring free speech to Facebook, is like saying to any company in Texas, 
You may not fire people for calling their coworkers the N-word. Or you may not fire people for harassing customers. Because that's free speech. Those people are expressing their opinions. I mean, you get how bizarre the logic is of this, of this Texas and Florida law? How, how aggressively these guys want to embrace Nazism and white supremacy and make sure that it, this poison fills our social media spaces? It's astonishing. Picking up your phone calls here, Justin in Clyde, North Carolina. Hey, Justin, what's on your mind? Well, that last little bit you were talking about was the uh, Supreme Court over the last 40 years is kind of a starting point. And let me say, Tom, you're one of the last bastions of clear thinking that's on this planet, and you keep me grounded every day, let me just say. Well, thank you, Justin. Spending some time as a nurse in a psych unit, I imagine you would have understand that I've met some really messed up people in the way they thought. And from a standpoint of how nutrition and food affects the human mind, as well as the poison of the alt-right, right-wing, Mur- Rupert Murdoch, etc., it just seems like the major aspect of what we digest every day is, again, poisons. And so I'm just wondering how or where to start to unravel this Gordian's knot that's been created like this chessboard. You know, this Supreme Court justice gets in, that thing is decided, Citizens United. And it's like this slow-moving tide that continues to destroy this wonderful country. Yes. I think the beginning of the whole thing, I mean, the, the, the cancer at the core of, of everything, of all of these, you know, of why Medicare is paying 10 and 20 times more for, for a, a, a damn aspirin than, than the Veterans Administration pays or any hospital pays. Um, the, the reason why uh, Americans right across the board pay twice as much for health care as any other country, as the citizens of any other country in the world. The reason why we're the only developed country in the world where, our, where we've got over a trillion dollars. We're, we're the only country in the world, in the developed world, that has student debt as a, as a meaningful thing in, at all. I mean, you know, if it, it ha- at least half your European countries, they pay you to go to college. It's the other way around, right? Uh, the, the, uh, the reason for all of these things, and we could go through a much longer list, why we have so many poisons in our food, you know, why, why there's this lawsuit going on right now over glyphosate, over Roundup, you know, causing a, a half a dozen different kinds of cancers, yet it's still being sold in our stores. Um, you know, it, it, every, all of this goes back to the ability of industry and right-wing billionaires to buy politicians, and that ability was established by the U.S. Supreme Court beginning in the 1970s and tripled down on in 2010. And that's the cancer at the core of the whole thing, and it's not going to get changed or reversed until Congress passes a constitutional amendment, which requires two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-quarters of the states, or decides that it's going to override the Supreme Court, or decides it's going to unpack the Supreme Court and expand the size of the Supreme Court. You know, the, the Supreme Court has nine people on it because... The last time the, the number was changed, which was after the end of the Lincoln presidency, or after, you know, when Grant came into office, the, there were nine circuits in the United States. He had one justice who, who uh, part of the year, would ride each circuit. And today we have, you know, justices who are responsible, who are kind of like the head justice for each of the circuits. Well, there's 13 circuits now. Why don't we have 13, 13 justices on, this, on the Supreme Court? 
Well, in the same reason is that what is it that we've limited the number of congressmen, even though it was originally set at 20,000 people per congressman, if I have the numbers correct, and we've gone way beyond 20,000 persons per congressman yeah. and 500 plus. And again, all these numbers. So what I'm asking, Tom, is what you've just expressed so eloquently. How could we go about, I, you know, perhaps it's make a film or something that kind of lays this all out. And in that last sentence in the last chapter of the film, movie, video, TikTok, whatever, is like, and if you want to change this, is get out of the theater and go vote. Yeah. You know, that it's getting so hard. I, 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 woke, I grew up white middle class, Southern California, and had so many opportunities. I loved public school. I had some of the best teachers. And I've also worked in private school and private elementary school. And they all have their pluses and minuses. But ultimately, if there's not the family support behind it, it's kind of a dead end. So I guess what I'm looking, Tom, is you're keeping that flame alive. But what I'm asking is what can be done to really bring this out really broadly to the public at large? I can tell you, um, I can tell you, Justin, the, the Progressive Caucus, which is entirely Democrats, completely gets this. And the rest of the Democratic Party largely gets this, although you know people who are not members of the Progressive Caucus are are themselves generally in typically in relatively small ways for Democrats, big ways for Republicans on the take, as it were. But you know the Progressive Caucus gets this, the Democratic Party gets this, and so I would I would say that the you know get out there and vote for Democrats and particularly progressive Democrats get and get involved inside the Democratic Party to bring more progressives into it. Because, you know, progressives understand this unblinkingly, you know, to completely get it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? I think we need to stop accepting Republican talking points that are just 
excuses for their violent racism as legitimate language in parlance. For example. And I'm I'm going to say this, that there's no such thing as great replacement theory. This is just the latest thing they're pulling out of their rear end. By the way, have we been talking about folks, uh, listeners, when when did you start hearing about the great replacement theory? I just started hearing about it after these shootings. Just like, just like Tom, you never heard the word Antifa before the Charlottesville incident of 2017. You never heard it before because Antifa didn't exist until after, until the end of, end of World War II. Antifa was the umbrella term for the resist, fascist resistance in Spain and France and Italy, but they drag it out of this. And by the way, there's no such thing as critical race theory. That's actually, that term was coined in an article in Harvard Law Review in 1970 to describe the classes that that, uh, law schools were beginning to teach to address the Civil Rights Act passed in 1965. They referred to it as critical race theory. And by the way, the term critical means like an exegesis, a, a, a deeper look, race being what it is, and theory not meaning... A, uh, a hypothetical explanation for an observed event, but theory as in, like, in music theory, it is a historical survey of what has been. Hmm. It, that, that's, that's what music theory is. You know, music, that people call it the theory of music. There's no theory of music. It's, I, and by the way, I have a degree in it, so uh, I got it in high school. Uh, music theory is a survey, a historical survey about how music has been written since about the year 600. Right. So critical race theory was a study, or what they called critical race theory in this article, is how law schools proposed to study how the Constitution and the law affected people of different races uh, over the, the term of our... Of our, our so, Paul, nation. if we're going to stop using these phrases that have come out of the Republican swamp, yeah. what do we... Uh, how do we characterize their behaviors when they are using those phrases, number one, and number two, what is what are the alternate memes that we should be floating in your mind? Well, okay. Uh, first of all, I say there's there's no such thing as great replacement theory, and there's no such thing as critical race theory. And the other thing is, instead of a good example, is abortion. I call I don't refer to it. I don't use the word abortion. I say woman's right to uh, our our not a woman's. I say our right to privacy and reproductive choice. I don't say abortion, but it's, a, it's our right to privacy and reproductive choice, I guess, is too complicated. It's easier to say abortion, which they, they like to say, and that means murdering babies. But the fact of the matter is, you say, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you about critical race theory, because you don't want you to, or great replacement theory, because there's no such thing. The, the, the great replacement theory is that a theory can be used as a hypothetical explanation for a for an, uh, phenomena. What is it? What phenomena are they observing? What and what is the explanation? No, it's just a, it's just an excuse to start to to uh, for their for their uh, racist violence. That's and you said it yesterday, Tom. It's a civil war. It's they want a race war. It is a civil war, and it's going to degenerate more and more into this domestic terrorism, just like it had in the Middle East. And what that was from is rich people getting the common classes to do their bidding, their violent bidding. That's you thinking about Lebanon? All over, wherever 
wherever in the Middle East. I have a friend who's from Afghanistan, and I asked her, what is terrorism? What is this all about? And she told me there are two kinds of people in the Middle East, the very rich and the very poor. And the very rich, they don't want to fund standing armies. They as little as possible. They don't want to pay taxes. So they fight each other. This is how they fight each other, is they get poor people and tell them, you're doing God's work, and then, well, pay your family, because these people have no money. And so they said, go ahead, kill yourself, do this violence, and your family will get money. And, of course, they never pay off. But that's basically it, rich people getting poor people to do their violent bidding. And that's what's going on here. We talk about the big corporations, and that's what they're doing. They need The big corporations don't have enough voting power to sway the government. So what do they do? They tell lies. You know, this is the whole Fox News. It's their information propaganda campaign to get people. And now they're getting them worked up with the, the, the big lie and making people angry and violent. And that's what's going on here. Yeah, I, 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 I get your analysis. I don't think that, you know, denying that critical race theory or, or you know, any of these uh, replacement theories and whatnot are real is going to get us anywhere, though. I mean, it may not be real to you. It may not be real to me, but it's real to the people who are. It's real to Ron DeSantis, who's passing a law against it. Whatever that means, though, what is he passing a law against? Well, he's passing a law against the teaching of American history. <laughs> I mean, you know, so well, he's redefined it. So it has an actual definition in his mind. And, and Greg Abbott and all these other racist governors around the country. Yeah, Paul, a lot of food for thought there. Thanks a lot for the call. Jason in Catonsville, Maryland. Am I saying that right? Catonsville, uh, Maryland. Catonsville, okay. What's up? When I hear someone say or see on social media, uh, let's go, Brandon, my response is don't look up. Ah, uh, but, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but to my point, um, regarding CRT, it seems to me that those anti-CRT laws cut both ways, and I would love to see a flood of black people and interest groups uh, hold those uh, states accountable for teaching the traditional American history. Uh, I know that's got to make black people feel bad. The so same all these way. slaveholding founders were just wonderful, benevolent people who treated their enslaved human beings as, as if they were family and... And in some cases, uh, well, in Jefferson's case, made them family, but uh, wasn't that sweet? That kind of stuff? Exactly. Yeah. Throw it back in their faces. Yeah. That's what I say. It's, it's not our style, <laughs> you know, frankly, uh, Jason. I mean, you know, left-wingers have their own moral panics, but they tend not to be, uh, they tend to have some foundation in reality. Um, I mean, there is a huge foundation in reality to what you're saying, absolutely. But I think that, you know, rather than banning those books, what we're trying to do is is replace them, you know, with an accurate history of America. Well, it's like you're saying about the uh, campaign finance, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I say flood them in their own stuff and, and then they'll have such a problem dealing with it that they'll reconsider. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an idea. Jason, uh, thanks for planting the seed. Let me think about that. I mean, there may be some things that are worth banning beyond just, you know, the, the, the I mean, the, you know, the, the history of Christopher Columbus, for example, is another, another example of, you know, our racial history being, being completely, um, you know, elided or gutted or whatever. Uh, Jason, thank you for the call. Steve in Ang- Angels Camp, California. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, Tom. Long time. I have never talked to you before. I have waited on the phone before, but anyway. <laughs> well, thanks for calling. Um, 
Yeah, some of these uh, subjects to me, I mean, uh, I, I suppose many Americans uh, have wondered where did all this mind uh, manipulation and mind control come from in the last 20, 30 years? Um, I think you addressed this in some ways uh, discussing right-wing radio. Um, I know there's a history on that, and I think you wrote some book about it. Um, I'm curious because mind control has been a sub- subject from my studies, my my educational background uh, in psychology and uh, social services and uh, programs to help uh, the nation uh, to think more productively and more clearly. Um, and uh, along with that subject is the whole thing about consciousness. Yeah. Where does consciousness get derailed? Who does it? Why do they do it? But um, I would like to know uh, if there is a book that you've written on this subject. I think you had... You it's called Cracking the Code, Steve. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a book on, on messaging, on progressive messaging. It's called Cracking the Code. I published it in 2008 in the hopes that uh, Democrats would use it. To, to a large extent, they did. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it was, I think it was a, a useful contribution to the dialogue. But that's, that's the title of the book, Steve. Steve and I think you're right. I, th- I think that an awful lot of this um, started on right-wing radio, uh, Limbaugh being the obvious, uh, you know, villain, as it were. Um, but, you know, they're, they're continuing it. And, and, uh, but now it's moving to podcasts, as you see with Joe Rogan, and it's moving over to, the, to YouTube and uh, TikTok and uh, Instagram and every place else. And, um, you know, we just, we just have to tell the truth to push back against it. Thanks a lot for the call. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. Hey, Tom. Hey, I just had to strongly disagree with what you said about the January 6th hearings and that Republicans are going to somehow turn against Trump at that point. I mean... I hope you're right, but I really strongly doubt it. I mean, they stand in lockstep against reality every day. I don't know why you think that would change in any way for think, any of them, even I, Susan Collins. Yeah, you know, the first, the first primary this year is, is, I believe it's March 1st in Texas. I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it's in that neighborhood. It's coming up soon. It's coming up in the next month or so. And my... And, and, and we don't know. I mean, the, the, the January 6th committee has not announced when they're going to hold their public hearings. But if they hold their public hearings before the primaries, these Republicans who are desperately trying to get the Trump base, which is the main voting base in Republican primaries, will probably do what you're saying, George. They'll probably just keep their mouths shut and their heads down and, you know, try and make it through the primaries. But if they do the hearings after the primaries are over, or during the primaries. In other words, if these hearings happen in April or May, as, you know, I mean, the primary season goes all the way up until uh, July or August, I believe, but maybe even September, but depending on the states, and some are more obscure than others. But, you know, if they do it a little later, my guess is that it will have that effect, because once these Republicans get past the primary, and they are the candidates, then they're going to be looking at the general election. And to get to, to win in the general election, I'm of the opinion, and again, maybe I'll be, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe you can prove me wrong, George. But I think in the general election, Trump is going to be a loser for a lot of these guys. Um, yeah, I, I hope you're, I hope you're right. I really do. I, I, I generally take a pessimistic pessimistic view on that. But one thing I, I feel a little a little bit more optimistic about is my, I'll, I'll, if I may touch on CRT for a minute, is that all this um, you know culture war that's happening now may eventually lead to 
an expanded curriculum on on that subject matter for young children. I mean, you know, as we all know, CRT has never been taught in public schools in any way. Right. Really, and, what they're talking uh, about is Black history. They're just trying to ban Black history. I mean, that's that's right. the bottom line. Right. But my hope is that you know it'll be expand the curri- curriculum along those lines will actually expand because even what's been taught has been a pretty watertown version oh, yeah. of black history. Oh yeah. So I, I I'm a little bit hopeful actually with this culture war that we're actually gonna turn turn it around and it's gonna bite them in the butt, especially if they lose interest in it as you stated earlier. Me too. Uh, I, I agree with that. And there there's a great piece in the New York Times yesterday, by the way, about how Trump is rapidly now starting to lose lose uh, support within the GOP and and wars are breaking out on the hard right between the the, the sort of crazies like Ted Cruz and the genuinely crazies like, you know, Marjorie Trader Green. So we'll see how it shakes out. George, thanks a lot for the call. Donna in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Donna, what's on your mind today? One of the things I can answer uh, the question, what are we doing in isolation? And one of the things that I've done is read the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm. And um, she does an excellent job of laying out the fact that America, more than a democracy, is a race-based caste system. And, you know, it seems like no matter what African-American people do, we're always going to be at the bottom of the caste. Um, you know, people have gone to fight. They've come back in uniform. They've been lynched in uniform. I mean, it doesn't matter how much education or, or what you do. We're always at the bottom of that cast. And I'm listening now to the commentary on so many, you know, stations and, and shows about how uh, black women particularly voted in droves for the Democrats and in essence saved the democracy become, from becoming an author, 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 uh, authoritarian. Uh, yeah. I'll say it for you. you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Regime. And, you know, and so my question is this. Why should we, especially black women, go out and vote and march and go through everything that we went through when in the end we're going to still be at the bottom of that caste system? I mean, look at how. Kamala Harris and and the perspective um, uh, nominee for the Supreme Court and and the one that uh, Biden nominated for the Federal Reserve. Look how those black women are just denigrated and, 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 and dehumanized. And, you know, maybe we should just stay home. Maybe we should just let this system do what it's going to do. If, if, if our white brothers and sisters don't care enough to get out there and march you know, and do what they need to do to save the democracy, why should we, if we're still going to end up at the bottom of the caste system? And I know that's a rhetorical question. Maybe it doesn't have an answer, you know, but that's been on my heart. And I really think that a lot of black people are pondering, why should we save this democracy? It's really never been a democracy for us. Yeah, I I get what you're saying, Donna. And uh, a couple of thoughts come to mind. Uh, number one, there were, if you recall the, the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, following the murder of George Floyd, there were a lot of white people in a lot of those protests. There, uh, I, I, I think this is a multiracial movement now, and, and solidly one. Uh, of course, there were white people involved back in the '60s in civil war, t- in civil rights too, but uh, not in the proportions that we're seeing now. Um, so, number one, I think that it is multiracial. But number two, uh, let's just game that out. You know, what if black women declared a boycott and Republicans swept 
swept the board and took control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, and then said, okay, that's it, no more democracy in America, uh, you know, uh, our votes, our elections are going to be sham elections, we're going to decide who won each election going forward, uh, we're going to start censoring the news, uh, we're going to, as Donald Trump proposed, we're going to change our libel laws, so if you say something about uh, elected officials that they don't like, they can throw you in jail or bankrupt you. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, democracy's over. The United States is going to start operating like, the, like Russia does uh, right now. Uh, how, does that, how does that play out in your mind? Well, it would be bad. Okay, it, it would be. And, and I guess that's why I'm, I'm still engaged, you know, in, in you know, I, I vote, I do different things, I try to inform myself. But still, Tom, you know, if it's going to result in... I mean, will it result in lynchings? I mean, there were lynchings, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and all kinds of terrorism. Would it result in that? We've lived with terrorism, you know. Um, when you look at it, it wasn't that many years ago when uh, a black man was tied to the back of a truck. You know, this was, mm-hmm. and he was dragged to a town. I mean, we've yeah, lived with that. And, yeah, and, and it's, it's not as, as prevalent now. But it's, you know, it's a matter of degree. I mean, it's just, it's, we would still be on the bottom. Yeah. And so, you know, under, under, like if you look at Orban, you know, and, and I think there are people who vote against their own self-interest who are white because they think that it doesn't affect them. But if you look at dictators and authoritarians, then you see that, you know, they never get enough power. They never get enough money. They're they're going to, when they get finished oppressing us, they're going to move on to, you know, people who look like them because that'll get them more power. And that's what, and that's what they do. And, and, you know, there is a a philosophy, Donna, and and it's, it's held by the people, uh, largely white people, the black bloc group, that are out there, you know, trying to set fire. I mean, we saw it here in Portland, trying to set buildings on fire during the, in the evening during the Black Lives Matter protests. And their philosophy is that the system is corrupt. The system is irredeemable. The only way that real change is going to happen is to crash the system. Um, and, and that if the crashing of the system is done by the Republicans completely taking it over and turning America into a fascist state, so be it. That will be the final straw that breaks the camel's back, and suddenly people will rise up and say, no, we demand something that's more like a real democracy. Um, I, I am not a believer of that. I think it's a suicide mission. But that opinion is out there, and it seems like it kind of correlates with the with the, the, the story that I'm sure is being promoted, actually, probably by the Republican Party, that black people have been betrayed and shouldn't show up to vote. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I hate to side with them. I, you know, I, I really do. Maybe this is just, you know, the cynicism and, and that I feel from having read that book. It's a very powerful book, yeah. and I would recommend it to, to people. You know? I, I have it at home. I haven't read it yet. I'm going to have to now with your recommendation. Donna, thank you. I'm sorry we're out of time. The, 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 the machine just started on us. Donna, thanks so much for the no call. Problem. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud, 
with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Earl in Hyde Park, Illinois. Hey, Earl, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? On that Boris Johnson thing over in England, I think you have Trumpian-type president if we... Had their, uh, you know, their all uh, parliament. Had a parliamentary system. Government. Yeah. Yes. And I was suggesting that Boris Johnson is a Trumpian type. And uh, maybe if the parties were, you know, more supportive of the uh, Johnson regime, they might be able to go all the way into, you know, dictatorship. I don't know. I'm I was just speculating on that. Yeah, I, I get it, Earl. I'm skeptical of that because. I mean, Trump literally, I mean, he told over 30,000 lies as president. He just made crap up and he lied about policy. And, he, and, and, and Johnson is being brought down right now by the cover up of these 19 parties that they had at Downing Street. You know, the, their equivalent of the White House, the presidential residence right. um, or the prime minister's residence um, that they you know kept secret. So. You know, Trump lied and got away with it. Boris Johnson lied and got nailed for it. And and it wasn't even a you know hugely consequential lie. It wasn't like he was telling the people of Great Britain, uh, you know, don't worry about COVID, just be happy, like Trump did here, which is you know causing us to close in on nine hundred thousand deaths. Um, he 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 wasn't. I, I mean, he, and 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 Johnson hasn't been out inflaming racial tensions in the UK, uh, to the best of my knowledge. I mean, I don't. Uh, I'm not a scholar of Boris Johnson, but it, it seems to me like he's a, a more conventional conservative politician. I mean, I, I disagree with his policies and uh, particularly his economic policies. But and, and, and you could say, you know, he's just making stuff up when he says, oh, neoliberalism is wonderful, except he's not saying that anymore. Actually, Brexit was, you know, a, a repudiation of a large chunk of the neoliberal theory, the whole the so-called free trade thing. So, Earl, I, you know, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that's going to be. Uh, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Earl, thanks for the call. Jordan in Albuquerque. Hey, Jordan, what's on your mind today? Uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call, Tom. A quick comment and then to my point and question. Uh, so it seems if I were a teacher, and thank God I don't live in a state that uh, has banned, criti- or banned critical race theory, but if I was a teacher that lived in a state that has banned critical race theory, that Black History Month has put me in quite a predicament of what yep. to talk about in my classroom. Yep. But uh, on to that, I was wondering, has there been any discussion that the long game of critical race theory being banned in schools is depriving the potential of reparations for black people? Because that would have a generational effect if a generation says this never happened. How does another generation ever say, how do we uh, rectify this grievance? And I'll take your answer off air. Thank you. Sure. 
That's an interesting uh, thought, Jordan. I Actually, can I stay on sure. the line? I don't yeah. want to take it off. <laughs> we got 20 seconds, sure. Uh, but it's, uh, my guess is that the Republicans think that reparations are so unlikely that they don't have to do an endgame to prevent it. But it would have that effect. I mean, if we can continue uh, teaching the, the happy slave story, then uh, reparations don't make as much sense. Thank you. And that, that's pretty much what I assumed as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. That, that's fascinating. I hadn't considered that. I should have. Uh, you know, again, you know, we all look at life through our own lenses. And here's another example of it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Morris, listening on KPFK in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, what's up? Hey, all right, Professor, I want to share something with you. Uh, racism. Anytime you're talking about racism, the messaging is going to always be subliminal. They're not going to come out with the ethnic slurs. It'll always be a subliminal messaging with a spirited tone, mean-spirited normally, like you find with, with Tucker Carlson. Uh, and, you know, also I want to remind folks of something that uh, my favorite president, I know he's a cracker, but he was my cracker. His name was Lyndon Baines Johnson. And he once said that, if you can convince the lowest white man that he is better than the highest black man, then he will allow you to pick his pocket. And, and we see that today with corporations not having to pay any taxes. We need a progressive income tax. We don't have one. But folks are concerned about that because they're distracted, you know, with this, this bigotry stuff. Yep. And um, I'm sure you remember your boy, Edward Said. Edward Said, the road orientalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you were familiar with Daniel and Paul's Doctrine of Discovery. Now, the reason why those are important, because it's not enough for me to just blame white people for being sadistic and all that other stuff. Where does that come from? And now when we find out where things come from, then, then we can go ahead and address the issue. And I got a candidate for the Supreme Court, a black woman that Tucker Carlson would love to have, Tom Harbin. And guess who that is? I don't know. Who? Candace Owens. Thank you very much, my brother. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, okay. You think he, uh, you're being tongue-in-cheek, right, Morris? Yeah, Morris is gone. Okay, I'm guessing Morris is being tongue-in-cheek. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm leaning forward listening to your program, and uh, I wanted to comment. I hope that's on, a good thing. Uh, it is a good thing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, uh, I wanted to, to comment on uh, Joe Biden's uh, uh, promise to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. Right. And I wanted to kind of ask you a question uh, and give you maybe a little different take on this. You know, Tom, uh, my grandparents were born in uh, the, the uh, uh, late teens, you know, 1919, 1920, mm -hmm. and uh, they grew up with first, uh, the first black man to be a sportscaster, the first black woman to star in an international motion picture. 20 years later in the 40s came my parents and there was the first black man to be a commissioned officer in the Navy, first black person to be in, in the New York Opera, uh, so forth and so on. Right. 20 years or so later in the 60s, I would darken the world's doorstep 
and I uh, had uh, the first black graduate uh, from U.S. Air Force Academy, first black man to win a NASCAR event. And, of course, the tour de force, uh, Thurgood Marshall being appointed to the Supreme Court. My children, born in the 80s and 90s, uh, well, 90s, uh, have grown up, of course, with the first black president and now what appears to be. And what I'm talking about is this life of ordinal numbers, mm. a life of firsts. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if, if for me, Tom, in a way, in, a, in an esoteric way, it kind of amplifies the pro- problem because I don't think that European Americans are familiar with hearing those words. The first white astronaut, the first white president, the first, and it, and it, and it shows in a way, and I, I think you understand this, the problem in the country. Uh, um, you know, as long as we keep saying the first black this or the first black that, to me, it's an indication that we're standing still. Because I, we're going to be saying, because we're going to be saying the verse, first black something forever. My children's children are going to be hearing about the first black this or that. Well, Their maybe. children's children. Uh, you know, maybe. I mean, it, it, the, the question, I mean, the, the appropriate response to Joe Biden saying he's going to appoint a black woman on, to the Supreme Court from Roger Wicker in uh, what, Louisiana, I think he is, or wherever he's from. He's a senator from someplace down Mississippi, as I recall. Um, the appropriate response would be, why haven't we had one before? You know, <laughs> what, what is it about America for 240 years that, that caused this to be the first? And that, of course, is the, well, that, is the appropriate question at every one of those milestones that you mentioned, Kenyatta. But, right. You know, so you're, you're kind of making my point. Maybe what what I'd like to add to it, though, is that no nobody thinks twice now about a black person in sports, about a black person in entertainment, a black person in you know in in business, a black person in the courts. Uh, you know, obviously, we still have not gotten to anything close to racial parity, uh, economically, politically, power-wise. You know, just the power relationships in society. You know, what happens when a cop stops you on the street? We haven't gotten there, but. A lot of those, I, I think the firsts are going to fade out, and I and and you know, I'm I'm with Ben Jealous. I'm actually optimistic about this. Are you not? I'm going to say this. Please. See, I've been listening to the spin doctors. Um, I would like I would like to be. <laughs> that's that's my answer. Well, I would I, like to be. You know, you're you're old I, enough um, to know how far this country's come in the last what sixty years. Yeah, but it hasn't. It, it, well, that's relative, and it hasn't come far enough, Tom. Oh, and here's obviously. the thing. Here's the thing. This is a country, and I'm talking specifically about anti-black racism right. that has never existed without it. And right. I can't foresee being an intelligent, sentient being how it can, because if it can, then it's going to be something that it isn't. Yeah. Well, you know, racism will always be with us. Um, the challenge I've got is a what, perfect candidate. Okay, I've got go a perfect ahead. candidate for Joe Biden, but I'm not going to tell you because I'm writing a piece about it. But I've okay. got the perfect candidate for for, right. for him. So well, when uh, your piece comes uh, out, we'll, give me a shout. We can plug it. All right, man. OK, good talking to you, Kenyatta. Thank you very much. Trina in Atlanta, Georgia. Am I saying your name right? Yes, you are. Hey, thank you for calling. You're on the air. What's up? Well, you know, I want to discuss about the race relations in America. OK. I listened to a lady before me, and I and I I, I I like to say this. It really should not be about black or white, but it is. 
we have a, a really a really serious issue. When I graduated from high school, when I started my first year at Georgia State University in 1983, um, I, kn- I remember when Jesse Jackson was running for president. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when I first started the university, it was only about, I would say, about 10% black and mostly uh, white students. And I remember at that time, we were really, you know, we were really charged, uh, the black student unit, about Jesse Jackson being president. Now, in that time, um, there was apparently more racism um, that you could see more so when I, back in the 80s. Uh, when I entered into corporate, I saw a lot of things. And then things began to get better. Then they got worse again. And what I'm seeing in the last few years has been devastating. I mean, just terrible. But I really believe that the real issue is social economic. If you keep people down, then you have people to take the low jobs, do the low things, and keep them ignorant. My thing is, is for people to work together. If you're saying that, you know, it, it should not matter what race you are. It just does, it really doesn't matter. But it's an issue, and I see it being pushed in a negative way sometimes on both sides. And that concerns me. I don't want, I have grandchildren children now, I don't want them to grow up in a society where that is being perpetuated. But I know we individually have to do something about it. My daughter turned to me one day, and she's a pre-med major. You know what she said to me? Mm. I never knew about black and white things in my home. You never talk that way. But we experienced something one day, very negative, um, in a school that I took her out of, and it was racism was an issue, and we saw it. Mm -hmm. So I removed her. This, uh, she's a straight A student. I teach her to know who she is in herself and to treat everybody kind. I have two children and they, they're both very intelligent and I, I teach them that, that, that way. Mm-hmm. So whenever they've seen the racism, they saw it out of the home. And when I ask them how they feel, they study the news, they study, you know, they, they really study. And they tell me a mm-hmm. lot of things that, that I'm not aware of. But I'm so glad they're so clear and they have no hate in them. Yeah. They are so clear and they love Everybody, my daughter, my, my baby girl now is uh, uh, in, in a mixed up college, a very good school here in Atlanta, and she has friends from everywhere. And I teach her, it is not the color of the skin, as Marla King said, it is the content of the character. Yeah. And I really hope we grow as a people and begin to really see who people are. It's not about, like, I, I'm listening to your show, and I'm just loving you. I, I'm enjoying the way you answer things, and I really believe we have to get past skin color. We have to, or we won't grow as a nation. We're not growing correctly, but I'm praying so hard for us to grow. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Victrina, and, and you said it very, very well. I think that the uh, there, there was a guest on, on uh, one of the programs last night that I saw. I think it might have been um, Chris Hayes' show. Um, who you know was an authority on on uh, civil wars, as I recall. Uh, There's a book out, How Civil Wars Start, or something like that. And, and I think I'm pretty sure she was the author of that book. And what, but the point that she made, which really stuck in my brain, 
better than the title of her book or her name, was that um, up until the Obama presidency, uh, this was not the kind of issue that it is now. And up until the Obama presidency, the Republican Party was a multiracial party. I mean, you had Michael Steele, a black man who was the head of the mm -hmm. Republican Party for a while. And, mm -hmm. and with the election of Barack Obama, what happened was the Republican Party went insane. The, the, you know, the white supremacists went nuts. They essentially hijacked or took over or they were already embedded in the Republican Party and they threw out all the rational people. And the Republican Party yeah. is now more than 90 percent white. It is well over 95 percent Christian. And it identifies itself now as white Christian. And her point was that when a political party stops talking about policy, in other words, we're not debating whether or not there should be a cap on Social Security. We're not debating whether everybody should have access to, to Medicare or whether seniors should get you know, hearing aids and eyeglasses. We're not debating whether we should have new roads or things. It, it, the party, the Republican Party, has become about race almost exclusively, race and, and, and gender. They've also been ta taken over by misogynists, and this is their whole anti-abortion oh, thing, is controlling women. And that, you can't have a democracy. When you have one political party that's talking about policy and how to run the country, that's the Democratic Party, and you got another political party that only wants to talk about race and how to and and how to keep down people of who are not white, essentially, you know, basically, you know, races that that doesn't function in democracies. And her point was that's how civil wars start. That's how countries come unraveled, and and I think that's a really important point. Yes, I do. Yeah, so mm -hmm. Victorina, thank you. Thank you so much for your call. It was uh, great talking with you, and th I appreciate it. Annie in Sugar Grove, North Carolina. Hey, Annie, what's on your mind today? I'm going to pick your brain for a minute. About oh, a month and a half ago, you were talking about, you know, the, the religious right, the extreme religious right, and how much they, these aren't your words, I'm, you know, uh, paraphrasing, how much they adore, you know, the former guy. Um, do you remember him signing Bibles? At one of his Klan rallies, <laughs> I like to call him Klan rallies. Yeah, Trump. Yeah, I do recall Trump I don't signing know Bibles. If he, was, he was signing them on the outside yeah, too. Know, he was signing well, the outer, outer covers. Well, yeah, or the first page, you know, right inside the um, cover too. I think because mm. I think C-SPAN had it. But do you remember was he campaigning or was he actually, you know, officially forty-five at that time? I'm telling you that. I'm in Western North Carolina, and some of these people are outright. Oh, they're crazy! Yeah. They're out. They're just insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, insane. I'm with you. I, I I don't recall any exactly when that happened. I just remember when Trump was signing Bibles, and I don't recall if it was just yeah. you know one person said, "Would you please sign my Bible?" and the press got all no, you know weird about it, or if he had brought some. Or I, you know, I don't recall, frankly. No, recall. there was. There was more of a group of people, as I recall, uh, you know, standing yeah. in line, and he yeah. was just, you know, as usual. But the bottom line is that they have uh, have absolutely mm -hmm. weaponized Christianity as a political force. Uh, you see where yeah. Jerry Falwell Jr. now is coming out and saying, you know, uh, he's tired of hiding who he is, that he's actually not religious. Uh, because his name was Falwell, he was he, he was expected to uh -huh. inherit this empire, and he tried and he tried saying all the bigoted, hateful things that you're supposed to say if you're a white Christian, and uh, he just now feels really badly. <laughs> I mean, this is whoa, you know, talk about. I don't know if this is going to turn into a redemption story or what, but I, it blew my mind. 
I did see, uh, I didn't get to read the article, but I did see uh, the headline about that, and I thought, oh, my goodness. So Yeah, yeah his wife oh, said Baker, it was all a you know, scam. Back, yeah, and Jim Baker, you know, he's been back on TV for a number oh, of yeah. years now, and I watch his show, like, for 20 seconds at a time here or there, and he's really scary, too, and yeah. he's a... He's a a big MAGA fan. So, yeah. well, thank you for taking my call, and okay. uh, have a great afternoon. Thanks, Bye-bye. you too, Annie. Appreciate the call, Neil in Pearl City, Illinois. Hey, Neil, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? Well, uh, a few years ago, I read was reading a Shelby Foot history of the Civil War, and the la- something jumped out at me. It was, I believe, the last address that Jefferson Davis gave to the Confederate Congress, I think it was Christmas Eve of 1864. And what jumped out at me is he talked about they had to prepare to conduct a multi-generational war. And when I look at what's going on today, yeah, we're about six generations into that multi-generational war, and now it's coming out in the open. Just wanted to make that comment. (laughs) I did not know that, Neil. Um, if you if you can find a link to that or anything like that, would you try to tweet it at me? I'm not that high tech. I have okay. a hard copy uh, of the three volume Shelby Foot uh, history of the Civil War, which is very biased, by the way. But he does give when he's talking about battles. He really does give historically accurate analysis. But it's in that, and I don't know. I've been trying to find it in there now, and I can't find it. I know yeah. it's in book three, somewhere near the end, but I yeah. can't find it. But it is. I believe it was the last speech he gave. Uh, the Christmas address to the Confederate Congress. Interesting. I'll, I'll try to remember this weekend to go looking for it. Neil, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Well, I, I keep appreciate up the good work, please. I'll Thanks. do my very best. Thank you. Steve in Chicago. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? With regard to the previous caller, I, I, I would tend to lean towards what you were saying. In, in that, yes, there, there, is a, there isn't a hue and cry out there with regard to you know, the first white person to do X, Y, and Z. However, you know, we do need to be you know, detailed in terms of the way in which we define white. Because if you live in a northern city in, the, in this country, you're probably uh, surrounded by people who are wets, white ethnics. And oh, hey, John the, Kennedy was the first Catholic president of the United exactly, States, and that was a big friggin' deal. Exactly. The notion that white people are just this homogeneous group is absurd. There are plenty of people running around in America. Well, I would say it's absurd. Wait, 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 wait. It's been it's been basically law and policy for a long, long time. But but well, it's, but it's you're, you're, you're correct to interject some nuance into it, Steve. Right, exactly. Because there are plenty of Polish people wondering where where is the first person of Polish extraction to do this? Where's the first Russian, Serbian, Croatian, blah blah blah, right. go on and on and on. Right. It's just that which we, gets we, us we, back to Vangelis's thing of you know we used to think of each other of different tribes or races or whatever you want to call it as being from a particular place rather than looking a particular way. And, right, and, and he's, he right. suspects that eventually we'll come back to that because that's like deep in our DNA, this idea that, you know, uh, this is my group and that's your group. Um, the question Absolutely. isn't, can we do away with that? We'll never do away with that. The question is, can your group and my group live together? Right, and it's an evolving process. And though I know the last caller wanted to sort of, you know, define it in terms of black and white, the reality is that a century ago, the people who were marching through Washington, D.C., circa 25 and 26, and those famous photos that we all have seen, uh, those people were white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. They did not regard me or my, my ancestors as white people because we're from the Balkans. And, and, you know, they didn't think of Catholics as white people. They didn't think of Jews as white people. I go down a long list. 
So, yes. It, I, you know, I would say in the 60s, yeah, you know, if, if one of my best friends was Polish and and he, he took all kinds of crap for it. But but he wouldn't have gotten shot by a cop if he got pulled over. He looked like a white guy. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, that's the whole point of that book. You know, when the Irish became white is that because right, well, the, the Italians because, became white and Jewish became white. Exactly. You know, right. Because of the color of their skin, they could they could blend in, whereas black people have been uniquely the easy targets of this. This is the, this comment I made, you know, uh, six months ago to we had a, a scholar on black studies on. And I said, isn't racism just the laziest form of classism or ca- uh, uh, the laziest kind of caste system? And, uh, you know, I think I offended the, the, my guest, yeah, and, but and even, I, I stand by even, it. Yes, and even, even with regard to the notion of simply blending in, I mean, unless you can just do away with your Russian accent or your Ukrainian accent, you can't just blend well, in. Well, your children will. That's the yeah, point. Yeah, exactly, but the exactly, children exactly. of a black person can't just blend away right. the color of their skin. No, and I, we have to acknowledge that. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's just uh, what I'm saying is that there, it's not just simply this black and white divide. It's simp- uh, that simple. No, there, there's this a whole spectrum in- that includes uh, gender, that includes religion, that includes ethnicity. I mean, all sorts of things that are part of this equation and they're intertwined. Yeah, yeah. It, it is complex, but at, at the bottom level or at, at the foundational level, underneath it all, is 400 years of slavery in this country that specifically went after one particular group of people in a big way. I mean, yeah, there were there were Hispanic slaves and Native American slaves, but it was all about African slaves. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 